I greet you this morning in a name that's no other name but the name of Jesus. Uh, before I get started, I want to introduce a favorite person of mine. He came all the way here from uh, Selkirk, New York, to be with me today. So I would like for him to stand, Pastor Antonio Booth. This is my twin brother. Thank you, Tony. This is my twin brother, not just my brother, but my twin brother. And I also want to thank Anile for being here today. She's a very special uh, individual and a real special friend. Thank you for coming, Anile. <laughs> Pastor, I don't take that you have given me an opportunity to stand before God's people and share a word. So I'm going to do what I feel like God has told me to do and just try to be a blessing to the congregation here today. If you just bear with me this morning, I want to talk with you on a message. And the message is a better person or a better person. A better person or a better person. And for a subtopic, I want to talk to you on what happened to Ahithophel. I want everybody to say, Ahithophel. Say it again, Ahithophel. All right. The scriptures that I'm going to use is from 2 Samuel 16:23 and 2 Samuel 17:23. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we didn't come here for anything except to worship you. We came, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and draw us closer to you. And that, Lord, none of us will leave here the same that you lift a burden, heal a wound, draw us closer. We need you this hour, Lord Jesus. And so I say, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, God, be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. How many of you know that everything that we have is a blessing from God? Everything we have is a blessing from God. And we serve a God that has a deep love for us. But this morning, I want to tell you something that the pimping prosperity preachers won't tell you. I want to tell you that living this Christian life is not for wimps and crybabies. And we can see that example in Jesus. He was beaten. He was spit on. Stripped of his clothes. Hung on a cross at the hands of a mean world. Simply because of John 10.30 when he said, My father and I are one. But he didn't hold any grudges. He hung suspended from heaven to earth. And you know what he said? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Jesus didn't hold grudges. And as his followers, we're called to live and to share in his life of daring to do the same thing. 
Me personally, I believe it'll be easier to live a Christian life if the Bible didn't have the scripture, John 16, 33, when it says, in this life, we will have hardships. It's unavoidable. I don't care what they tell you. In the reality, we will experience things that we have no explanation. Stuff happens that we can't explain and it's not our fault. For example, you're working for a company for 20 years, the best employee, but you get laid off. You serve a God all your life and your child ends up with an illness. You can't explain it. You're faced with sickness that you can't explain. You're a good spouse, a husband and wife, but your husband or your wife walks out and you don't know why. A boss has decided that you're not the right person for the promotion. You open your child's telephone and you find out stuff that shouldn't even be there. You're minding your own business and somebody walks up to you and says something nasty. Or they Facebook you with some little dirty message. Maybe you feel like you haven't gotten the breaks that you need that, because of uh, the way your other family members have. I want to tell you something. We may have hardships, but I got good news. The last part of that verse says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. We will have hardships, but hardships don't have to have us. And sometimes the things we go through can be a setback and a setup in the same situation. How can we determine if the situation is a setup or a setback? Well, it depends on how we handle it. Some people, when confronted with life's problems, it propels their faith to another level. It changes their thinking. And God moves them from a greater work in kingdom building. But there are others when confronted with life's problems. It shipwrecks their faith and they stop believing in God altogether. We got to ask ourselves, can I trust God when I'm going through life's trials and problems? See, the things that we go through, it has an impact on us. It will influence our relationship with God. It will influence our relationship with our family and with our community. So we need to ask ourselves, when I go through the trials of life, how will I handle it? Will the trials of life make me a bitter person or a better person? Here's a description of a bitter person. They're angry and they're stuck in disappointment of being treated unfairly. They have resentment. A bitter person is hypersensitive, ungrateful, insincere. They carry grudges. But what makes a person bitter? How can a person get a bitter spirit? Well, it starts off as a hurt. And the hurt can be intentional or unintentional. Yeah. 
And sometimes the hurt can even be imaginary, that no one has hurt you, but you feel that someone has done something wrong to you. And so it begins to fester and, and to grow in the soil of our heart. And that hurt grows and becomes a spirit of bitterness. And you see, that root of bitterness is down in the soil. Nobody is able to see it. It's easy to be hidden. And we don't realize that spirit of bitterness there because it comes with a team of buddies. And some of you may know some of these buddies. Some of these buddies are called unforgiveness. Some of the buddies are called resentment. Some of them are called retaliation. Some of them are called anger, wrath, hatred, violence, murder. These are the spirits that grows in these clusters. You know what I'm talking about this morning. Many people who have been hurt, they hold grudges, but they don't express it on the outside. But rather they hold that hurt and that bitter feelings inside where it just kind of festers and grows. And seldom will anyone ever admit that they're a bitter person. They'll deny it or they'll disguise it. I like to use this comparison and say a bitter person reminds me that of a porcupine. They have a lot of good points, but you can't be near them. <laughs> because in time, that poison is going to seep out in that behavior, in their conversation, and in their attitude. Bitterness blows out the candle of joy in our life and can leave our soul in darkness. We don't understand what we have to understand is when our heart is filled with bitterness and hatred, holiness can't dwell there. Because the Bible says that make every effort to live at peace with everyone and to be holy because without holiness, no one would see who? No one would see the Lord. Let me tell you something. Despite our efforts to live at peace with people, people are going to bring stuff to your front door. Somebody would choose to bring a hurt to you. And it can be someone like your boss. It can be someone like a friend. It can be a neighbor. It can be a family member. It can be a church member. Today, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story about a life of a man that we know very little about. The story is a little complex, so I need you just to stay with me as I talk to you about this story. This man in the story, he has a grudge, and he's angry with his boss. And as you get a picture of his life, I want you to ask yourself, are life problems going to make me a bitter person or a better person? I want to talk to you about Ahithophel. Say Ahithophel. Ahithophel is a man the Bible says very little about. However, the information we have about him is very powerful. 
Uh, if you would, put the scripture on those 2 Samuel 16, 23. We're going to read this verse. It says, Now in, the day, in those days, the advice Ahithophel gave was like that of one who inquires of God. That was how both David and Absalom regarded all of Ahithophel's advice. Now, from this passage, you can surmise that Ahithophel was an advisor and a counselor to King David. And his words were if you could talk to God, if you were in, as if he were, you were hearing from the throne of heaven of God. That's how powerful his words were. That's very powerful, isn't it? Follow me to 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 23, just one chapter over. When Ahithophel saw that his advice had not been followed, he saddled his donkey, set out for his house in his hometown, he put his house in order, and hung himself. What happened to this guy? He has gone from influence to suicide. He was running a good race. Who or what cut him off? He went from everyone seeking his advice to complete despair. You want to know what happened to him? He had a grudge, and it turned into bitterness. He couldn't get control of his anger, and his bitterness destroyed him. If you want to know what has the capacity to take you out, to lose your anointing, to lose your ability to hear from God, and to destroy your destiny, is bitterness. We're going to start the story in 2 Samuel chapter 11. I'm going to just tell you the story, so follow me with you. David went from being a shepherd boy to becoming a great king. And one day, he got out of his bed and was walking around on the roof of his palace. And from that roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, the scripture says, and David sent somebody out to find out about her. The man went out and looked, found out, he says, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, he slept with her, and sent her back home. Lord, have mercy. Amen. Now, what in the world is wrong with David? He already has wives. He has a wife named Michelle. He has a wife named Abigail. Four other ones at home and plenty of concubines. Why in the world would he want to sleep with his soldier's wife? Why would he do that to Uriah? I'm going to tell you why he did it. It's called a spirit of lust. See, the problem with sin is never satisfied. There is always a lust for more. That was the problem here. The scripture says that not long, not too long after that, she sent word to the king, King David. And she says, I'm pregnant. Now the king is in a situation 
He's got to find a way, a plan to cover up his adulterous behavior. Mm. So, this is his plan. He sends for Uriah, who's on the battlefield, fighting for him. Uriah comes, and the king greets him, has a little short talk, small talk. How's the war? How are the soldiers? Of course, Uriah answers him. And then he says, Uriah, go home. Have a refreshing bath and a good night rest. He says, in other words, go home and sleep with your wife. Uriah leaves David's palace, but he didn't go home. Instead, he slept outside the palace entrance, along with the king's servants. The king finds out about it. Oh, man, he calls Uriah back. He says, Uriah, why didn't you go home? And this is how he answers the king. He says, king, my commander and his mans are camped out on the open field. How could I go to my house, eat food, drink, and make love to my wife? I can't do that. As surely as I live, I can't do such a thing. Well, David's first scheme didn't work. David has another trick for Uriah to sleep with his wife. Let me tell you, see, David wants Uriah to sleep with his wife, not because he cares about him, but because he's trying to cover up the sin that he's gotten his, this man's wife pregnant. He's trying to cover up this sin. Then David says to him, look, stay here one more day, and tomorrow I'll send you back so Uriah remained in, in Jerusalem this day and the next. King David invites Uriah to the palace and throws his big party for him. He has his wonderful meal, all the food he can eat, and he gets him drunk. He's got another scheme. He hopes that Uriah will be so drunk that he'll go home and sleep with his wife. But he doesn't. It says that evening Uriah went to sleep on his mat once again outside the palace with the king's servants. He didn't go home. The king's plan didn't work. All these schemes and tricks David has never gets Uriah to sleep with his wife. But David has one more scheme. And the sad part about it that it's going to be fatal for Uriah. The next morning, David wrote a letter to the commander. And he sends it with Uriah. But in the letter, Uriah doesn't know that this is the message that's in the, in the letter. He says, in the letter, put Uriah in the front line of battlefield where the fighting is fierce. Then, when he's there, withdraw all the troops from around him so he'll be struck down and die. I said, and when he's dead, let me know. Uriah is carrying his death notice to his commander. And so the commander did what the king asked him to do. He put Uriah in the battle, and Uriah was killed. Now, it's hard to believe that the Bible says that David is a man after God's own heart. This is nasty. This is absolutely mean. This is cruel. David got some nasty stuff in him. But guess what? So do you and I.
So word gets back to David that Uriah is dead. Now King David thinks he's cleaned up his mess because now he's able to have Bathsheba to become his wife. David thinks that what he's done in the dark won't come to light. That's what we think too. What we do in the back in the corner in the dark, nobody's going to see it. But it does. He does. God sends Nathan, a prophet, to confront him about his sins. And when he's confronted, Psalms 51 is what David cries out. Have mercy on me, O God. You see, David should have died because that was the penalty for what he had done. Have mercy on me, O God. Create me a clean heart. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquities. Renew a right spirit in me. That was his prayer. And God had mercy on him. And that's what he does for us. That's what he does for us. See, but unfortunately, this is not the end of the story. Sometimes we can go places and we're being watched, not only by God, but people are watching us that we don't even see. And so it was with David. What David did in secret was now heard in the ears of Ahithophel, his counselor, his advisor. When Ahithophel learns that David has done this, he is angry. He's not angry. He is seething angry. He is very angry. He's so angry that he's become bitter with David. The scripture says that he was so angry that he joined forces with Absalom, David's son, to take over his kingdom. You see, Absalom was bitter with David because his sister had been raped by his brother. And David, for two years, Absalom waited to see what his, David, his father was going to do, and he did nothing. And so Absalom became very bitter with his father. Finally, Absalom kills his brother when David does nothing. So Absalom is bitter with David. Ahithophel is bitter with David. David got people bitter with him coming and going. Some of you are wrapped up in bitterness with a parent, a mom, dad, sister, brother, a relative, a friend, because they didn't treat you right. They they did something wrong and they didn't correct it. They They didn't apologize. And to this day, you still remember that story. You see, one thing about bitter people, they'll find other bitter people. That's why Ahithophel joined with Absalom, because they had a kindred spirit. They hooked up together because somebody had done them wrong. A bitter spirit can you destroy you. The scripture says in 2 Samuel 17, it says that Ahithophel wanted to personally kill David. He says, look, Absalom, let me have 12,000 men, and I'll start out after David tonight. 
I'll catch up with him while he is weary and while his men are discouraged. And his troops will panic and all of them will run away. Then I'll kill that king. I'll kill him. And I'll bring the people back just as a bride is being brought back to her husband. He, Ahithophel wanted David. He wanted him bad. If Absalom had followed Ahithophel's advice at night, that kingdom would have been his. But David heard about Ahithophel's anger and that he had joined forces with Absalom. And he began to pray, oh God, please make the advice of Ahithophel sound like foolishness. So he didn't follow it. Absalom didn't follow it. When Absalom didn't follow Ahithophel's advice, Ahithophel knew that the battle was over, that he had lost, that Absalom had lost, because it was going to give David time to regroup. Now, who is this Ahithophel, and what's driving him to pursue this desperate desire to kill the king? What did David do to him? What was the hurt that Ahithophel felt from David that he wanted to kill him? Well, David committed adultery. He slept with Bathsheba. He killed her husband. What business is that of Ahithophel? Why does that have anything to do with him? Let me tell you why. Because Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. That's, what had, that's why he was so irate with David. Did David know this information? Yes, he did. It said in 2 Samuel, it says, when David sent someone to find out who he was, he was told, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam. Elam's father was Ahithophel. David had done this horrible act to this man's family, and he couldn't forgive him. The grudge was so strong that it became a spirit of bitterness. When he couldn't get revenge, it just drove him crazy. So strong, he just wanted to kill him. And instead, he ended up killing himself. So I ask you, what made Ahithophel bitter? And what was it that made Elam better? The Bible says that Elam became one of David's mighty men. You see, a family can go through a loss, a great loss, or a tragic. One person becomes bitter, and another person becomes better. We determine how we're going to respond when life hasn't been fair. We have to decide if we're going to become bitter or better. I, I heard this statement once. It says that bitterness is the poison we swallow in effort to harm the one that has wronged us. That's powerful. You know, in this life, all of us, nobody is going to escape 
all of us is going to have a somebody done me wrong song. But we got to decide if the verse will be, what verse are we going to add to it? Are we going to add a verse that's going to be bitter? Or are we going to add a verse that's going to be better? I want to leave you with this few things, these three thoughts before I close. Reconciliation is always God's number one priority for our lives and relationships. And how do you start reconciliation when you are faced with a bitter situation? You have a, you have a hard conversation with the offender. You start off by having a hard conversation with the offender. The Bible says, if, my, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him your fault between you and him alone. Right. What if David and Ahithophel had a conversation? Would things turned out different for him? What if David had had a conversation with Absalom? You see, the problem, David had a history of turning a blind eye to family problems. And some of us do that. You got mess going on in the family. You sweep it under the rug. You don't talk about it. Pretend like it don't happen, didn't happen. You know, the holidays are coming up. That person you can't stand is coming to your house. And you're saying, hmm, I wish they weren't here. You go back, you go out and hang out someplace until they leave. Come on now. Bitterness can kill us. David had a problem of turning a blind eye to family problems. Maybe Ahithophel wouldn't have ended his life. Sometimes just having the conversation, it may not change the situation, but it won't allow the mess to fester. It'll keep things, the conversation open, it'll keep communication open. Number two, make a deliberate decision to let the grudge and the bitterness go. And that's a process. And how do you start the process? You got to stop rehearsing the story. You got to stop telling it to every John, Tom, Dick, and Harry. And I don't mean if anybody's out there, Tom, Dick, and Harry ain't talking to you. You got to stop telling that story. Maybe you're not ready to go to lunch with that person, but you can start the process by renewing your mind. See, the more you tell the story, the more it sounds fresh. Just a few weeks ago, an African-American uh, actress died. Her name was Diana Carroll. And she tells this story about her family. The story she tells is that her parents were having some marriage problems. And they decided that they were going to have her to go and live with her aunt. She was four years old. So they cooked her a nice, lovely meal that night, tucked her in bed, and when she woke up the next morning, she was at her aunt's house in North Carolina. 
And as a four-year-old child, she's running around the house looking for her parents, and she can't find them. But see, the sad part about this story is that she tells the story for years. This four-year-old grows up to be a grown woman, but she's still telling the story. And this is her story. She tells it, she says, when I'm 20, 30, 40, at 50 years old. And she said, one day her best friend says, aren't you tired of telling that story? She said, I was 50 years old before I could forgive my parents. Some of us got some mess going on like that. Years, you're still telling that story. You're still telling that story about how somebody done you wrong. It could have been your dad, how he left you. It could have been your mama. She wasn't there for you. It could have been a brother who took some stuff from you, who borrowed some money from you and he never gave it back. I'm one, when I, when I borrow money from you, I'm going to tell you whether or not I'm going to give it back to you. Ask my, I could, you could ask my dad. I told him, Dad, I'm going to borrow some money from you, but I ain't giving it back. <laughs> he gave it to me anyway. <laughs> we have mess going on in our lives that we need to deal with. And sometimes we need to deal with it before it becomes a bitter situation. Not sometimes, all the time. Her parents had forgiven each other, but she hadn't. And when she was able to forgive them, Diana Carroll, at 50 years old, when she was 50 years old, she said, I forgave them. And she said, when I forgave them, I felt the freedom of forgiveness. She said, I didn't know forgiveness could bring such freedom in my life. If bitterness eats at a person long enough, it would destroy them. A bitter person will never move forward because of the poison they continue to swallow will bring death to their hopes, dreams, and their life. Point number three. Make a determination that the destiny of the offender is not in your hands, but it's in a gracious God's hand. The same way you want to be forgiven, so it is that with that person. As hard as it is to focus on the offender or the offense, if we do, the hurt and the brokenness in our lives will never heal. See, it's the power of God that can only renew us. Process starts with forgiveness. And the, sad, the thing about God, he's always requiring us to do something that we can't do, the impossible. Like this, he says, don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Woo. He says, forgive those other people that sin against you so that your heavenly father will forgive you. He says, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Woo! 
God requires things for us that's not possible for us to do. That's why we don't have the power in ourselves to live the life Jesus tells us to live. That's why we need that Holy Ghost power. We can't do this life. We can't do this life without Jesus. We can't live this Christian life without Jesus. It's too much. It's too much. We need the Holy Ghost power of Jesus to touch our lives and to call us and help us to do this. We can't do it on our own. We can't do it on our own. I want to tell you a story about my own family. My uncle, my mother had 13 brothers and sisters, right? And her mother died early. And my uncle was bitter with God for 40 years or more. You know why he was bitter? Because God took his mother. And he said, I, God took my mother when I needed her, when I was a child. And some of you are angry with God because he's taken something from you. He said it was a week before Christmas. He said instead of us opening gifts on Christmas Eve, he said we were having my mother's funeral. He said, after she died, I just stopped going to church. He got married. He said, his wife and children can go. But he said, I don't want nothing to do with God, and I don't want nothing to do with church. Then one day, one day, he stopped and paused and said, I got to get this thing right with God. He said, I can't continue to live in this hurt and the anger that I have in my heart. So one day, he went back to where he left God at church. He said, when the preacher stopped preaching, he said, I got out of my seat and went down to the altar and asked God to forgive me and to cleanse my heart. He said, something lifted. Something lifted. That thing that had been burdening me for years lifted. Some of you need that this morning. You've been tangled up with some burden that somebody done you wrong song. And you need a lift. You need the spirit of God to talk to you. You need the spirit of God to heal you. When the spirit of bitterness on all of his friends, anger, retaliation, resentment, unforgiveness, hate, are taken to the tree of Calvary, it will bring transformation and restoration to our souls. You see, Absalom was bitter, and that bitterness blinded him. He had forgotten the position that he was holding. He had forgotten that he was a prince and that one day he might have the kingdom. He had forgotten who he was. So many times the, the setbacks in our lives can make us blind. 
it can cause us to forget the type of God we serve. We think that God don't see it. When somebody's done us wrong, we think God don't see it, and I got to get them because God isn't on my side because it shouldn't have happened to me. That's what we think. But God sees it. And God can take a setback and turn it into a setup. Ahithophel was so bitter that he missed the family blessing. Think about this. Ahithophel's great-grandson was Solomon. Solomon became what? The king. I don't care how dark a situation may be. God can bring glory in the time of darkness. When we think it's hopeless, when we think we, that it's no more, we can't do nothing about it, I'm telling you, God can show up and show out. Has bitterness blinded your eyes? Have you become so hurt you've forgotten how much a heavenly father loves you? If the praise team will come forward, I'm going to wrap this up. I want to tell you about the children of Israel. Three days they were in the desert without water, couldn't find water. And then they found water. But guess what? The water was bitter. The water was bitter. The scripture says that Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord heard his cry. And you know what God did? The, Lord, the Bible says that the Lord showed Moses a tree. And he said, take that tree and throw it in the water. Guess what? The tree turned the bitter water to sweet water. And I want to tell you this morning, if you want the bitterness removed, it can only happen when we put the tree of Calvary in our hurts. We've got to go to God if we want to make a change. The Bible says, don't be afraid. I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You're mine. When you're head over heels, I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, you won't go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end. Because I am your personal God. That's what the Lord says. Your personal Savior. I paid a price for you. That's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. He says, I'll sell the world to get you back. I'll trade creation just for you. God has our back. God can revenge any situation. But church, while he's doing it, we got to focus on what he's called us to be. He has not called us to be bitter. Instead, he's called us redeemed. He's called us friend. He's called us forgiven. And he's called us to be better. Amen? Amen. Amen.